Welcome. This is the weekly Sunday sermon from Rancho Baptist Church in Temecula, California. You can find us at ranchobaptistchurch.org. This week's message by Pastor Jason Swanson, the Gospel of John, that you may believe the unexpected. The original date of this message was the 15th of January, 2023. Whatever my God ordains is right. Do you believe that? Sometimes that song's a lot easier to sing than at other times, huh? We need to be in prayer for one another. There are many within our body that can use the encouragement of God's grace and God drawing them near to himself, giving them added confidence in him, in his care, in his love. Let us turn together in God's Word. I am Pastor Jason, and we have the privilege of walking through the the Gospel of John together. And we get to look at the first 17 verses in in chapter 5 this morning. And I want to remind us all as we open up into chapter 5 where we were just... Last week, Jesus was out of Samaria, now back home in Cana of Galilee. And what we're going to find this morning is he doesn't stay there very long, and he goes right back to Jerusalem. So follow along with me as we read the inspired, inerrant, all-sufficient Powerful enough to speak to our hearts, to encourage us this morning, that we might hear the words of Jesus, and that they might give us added strength in whatever might befall us, or might already be over us. After these things, there was a feast of the Jews... And Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Generally, when John tells us about a feast, he names the feast. It's the Passover or what have you. He doesn't tell us what this feast is, so it's not to be of utmost significance. We're not supposed to spend all of our time trying to figure out, well, what feast was this? What is significant is that Jesus Christ is on a mission, once again, from the Father, going to seek out that which is lost. This story is a little bit different than what we've seen before. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bezda, having five porticos, five porches. And in these lay a multitude of those who are sick, blind, lame, and withered. What we see here is the remnants of sin. If Genesis 3 and Adam's sin hadn't have happened, then we wouldn't see John chapter 5, verse 3. And we wouldn't see all the sin and mayhem all around us. We wouldn't see death or sickness. But we see it all around us. Praise the Lord for Jesus Christ, who is the answer to all. Then next, in my Bible, at least I have a bracket. And that bracket goes all the way down to the ending of verse 4. That is because in the older manuscripts... This little chunk, this section, was not in the older manuscripts. So what we have here is kind of an aside. 
that perhaps this is what the, the scribes added in in order to give a little bit more input on exactly what happened at this pool that was called Bezda. This doesn't mean that God's word is not inerrant, that it's not inspired. What we have here is nothing doctrinal, nothing majorly theological. It's just an insight into why people would go to this particular pool and what they believed happened. Which reads, waiting for the moving of the waters. For an angel of the Lord went down at certain seasons into the pool and stirred up the water. Whoever then first, after the stirring up of the water, stepped in was made well from whatever disease with which he was afflicted. And the man was there who had been ill for 38 years. Let that sink in exactly how long this had been. And when Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been a long time in that condition, he said to him, Do you wish to get well? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, but while I am coming, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Get up. Pick up your pallet and walk. And immediately the man became well and picked up his pallet and began to walk. Now it was the Sabbath on that day. So the Jews were saying to the man who was cured, It is the Sabbath and it is not permissible for you to carry your pallet. But he answered them, He who made me well was, was the one who said to me, Pick up your pallet and walk. And they asked him, Who is the man who said to you, Pick up your pallet and walk? But the man who was healed did not know who it was. For Jesus had slipped away while there was a crowd in that place. And afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, Behold, you have become well. Do not sin anymore so that nothing worse happens to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. For this reason, the Jews were persecuting Jesus because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But he answered them, My father is working until now, and I myself am working You'll notice that the title of the sermon this morning is The Unexpected. My question for us all this morning, my question for you this morning is, is this, how do you do with the unexpected? With that phone call you weren't waiting for from the doctor or from a sibling or from a spouse. Sometimes these questions and thinking through this are a lot more difficult because of what's transpired in the last week. How do you do with the unexpected? For me, this, is, this has been a, a rather difficult week. I had a, a dental procedure on Monday where they extracted a tooth, and I thought on Tuesday I'd come back to church and I would be fine. Here it's now Sunday, and this thing is still throbbing and bothering me. There's no tooth there, but whatever happened underneath is, maybe now it's a dry socket. I don't know. The Lord knows. And praise the Lord, tomorrow I'm going back to the dentist, and hopefully he'll be able to help me. But as I consider verse 3 and the multitude that were there, the sick, the blind, the lame, and the withered, 
And as I considered that all week in this annoying throbbing that really is nothing compared to the man that we're going to look at this morning, it, it all points back to the fall of man, that, that our bodies are dying, that our, that our bodies have disease. And what is oh so cool about what we're going to see this morning is that Jesus is the answer. That whatever falls us, whatever comes upon us, whatever we might walk into, knowingly or unknowingly, Jesus Christ is over and above all. And he can be trusted in all things. And his grace is oh so good. But what if we flip that upside down? How do you do with, we tend to think about the unexpected on the negative side. What what do you think when when God does the unexpected in a good way? When God heals when you didn't ask him to heal. That's what we're going to see this morning. When you get a call from from the office, but it's a raise, it's, it's not asking or telling you that you are now looking for a new job. When it's a praise report from a family member. When somebody calls you that you haven't heard from for years and years. And all these unexpected things happen. Do you look at them from the vantage point of God's grace? Do you see Jesus standing before you, just blessing you in all of these ways? Or do you look right past him? And you're only focused on yourself. That's what we're going to see this morning. We're going to see a man who misses it. For everything that that we see and that we see miraculously happen to this man, what we're not going to see is him putting faith in Jesus Christ. We're not going to see him believing in Jesus Christ. We're not even going to see him engaging with Jesus, asking him questions that you would expect to be asked. Instead, we're not only going to see the unexpected on the behalf of Jesus, we're going to see the unexpected on on behalf of this guy. But should the unexpected from Jesus really surprise us? Let me switch my question instead of how do you handle it when the unexpected happens. Do you have Jesus all figured out? When you think of Jesus, there's nothing that you could think of that's actually going to surprise you about our Lord. Or or could it be that that you've put Jesus in a small little box and he is so much greater than that box? And then what we do is we limit him by putting him in the little box. What we've seen time and time again up to John chapter 5 is Jesus does that which we would not expect. Even in the description of Jesus, the genealogy, there is no genealogy in John. What does he do? He goes back to the beginning. In the beginning was the word. Does that surprise you? Is that expected? That God would take on human form and flesh and dwell among us? That should surprise us all. That should cause us to rejoice. Or how about when we see John the Baptist baptizing as he baptized who knows how many thousands of people before. When he baptizes Jesus, the unexpected happens. Not only does does a dove representing the Holy Spirit come, and if it hadn't come, John wouldn't know. Because why? The Holy Spirit's invisible. So God in his grace extends that to John so he knows that's Jesus. 
But God the Father speaks from heaven. Is that expected? How about going on when we, when we get to Jesus and his mom and they're at the wedding and she comes to him and she says, man, they're all out of wine. And, and he's like, what, what, what does that have to do with me, woman? My, my time hasn't come yet. Is that unexpected? And then he does the miraculous. How about when we get to Nicodemus? Comes to Jesus at night. And Jesus graciously speaks to him, but what does he say? The unexpected. Hey, you need to be born again. And Nicodemus misses it. How about the woman at the well? He says, can you give me a drink? She asks him, well, why are you talking to me? I'm, I'm a Samaritan, you're a Jew. And his response is, oh yeah, of course, I'm a Jew. No, his response is, if you knew who it was that was asking you to give him a drink, you'd ask me for that drink and I would give you living water. Totally unexpected. Over and over and over again, when we get to chapter 4, the same thing. What we saw last week. He starts off telling everybody, all you guys want are signs in order to believe. And then what does he do? He heals that same official's son from miles away, just with his word. If you and I had been there, all of that would have been unexpected. And all I've been talking about up to this point really are some of the actions that Jesus has done. What we're going to see this morning are words that Jesus says that are totally unexpected. You wouldn't expect any of these to come out of his mouth, but they do. And in this, so much encouragement that the Lord has for us this morning as we just sit and we contemplate and we consider the words that Jesus says here in John chapter 5, verses 1 to 17. Verse 14, do you, do you know what happens in, in verse 14 with Jesus? As he says, behold, you have become well. Do not sin anymore so that nothing worse happens to you. That is the first time we see the word sin in the gospel of John. That's significant. Why? Because sin is all over the, the beginning of this chapter. It is what keeps this man from believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. It is what keeps the religious leaders that come after Jesus or that want to come after Jesus, it's what keeps them from believing in Jesus. So we need the Lord's help because we don't want sin to blind us. We don't want sin to blind us this morning as you're listening to God's word. Who knows what you could be thinking about. I know I could be thinking about my jaw and all sorts of other things. And what we want to do is we want to get everything from the Lord that he has for us in his word. So I think I need this much more than you do this morning, but let's just stop and let's pray that, that the Lord would meet us here and that these words would be things that, that you could come back to, that you could stand on, that they would be pillars for you to stand on to remember, oh man, yes, Jesus is a healer. Jesus is at work today. Jesus is kind and compassionate. And he's a, a man who seeks me out. He's my God who seeks me out. Just as he did this man. Let's pray. Have a, Heavenly Father, we need you this morning. I need you this morning. I know that in my weakness, that is where you are strong. I know that your power is 
is made full in my weakness, Lord, so thank you. Thank you for your all-sufficient, wonderful word. We pray that you would encourage us through your word this morning. Through the words that you said to this man and to uh, the Jewish leaders some 2,000 years ago. We know that they are meaningful for us as well this morning and what you want to teach us. Teach us about yourself, Lord. Teach us about ourselves. Teach us about sin. Allow us to understand the significance of what your salvation means to us, Lord. So that when you're right in front of us, as you're right in front of this man that was on this mat, that we do not miss you. We don't want to miss you this morning. We want to hear from you, not from me. So remind us of your goodness to us, Lord. Remind us of the power of sin and how you have saved us from that, not just the penalty, the punishment of sin, and eternity in hell and torment apart from you, but how you have saved us from what will be the very presence of sin, that there will be a time when there will be no more tooth pain, there will be no more cancer, that the heartaches that we feel here, that we go through, that they will be all gone. And we praise you for that. And we pray that your grace would sustain us, Lord. And as we, as we also recognize that your wonderful salvation has made it, that, that this, the power of sin does not have to dominate us. That because of you, and the Holy Spirit that you've given us, and the new nature that you've given us, Lord, we have power over sin. So guide our time now as only you can through your Holy Spirit. We love you, and it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Four unexpected sayings from our Lord that I want you to take with you this morning from here. First, do you wish to get well? Second, get up, pick up your pallet, and walk. Third, behold, you have become well. These are in your notes. Do not sin anymore so that nothing worse happens to you. And fourth, my father is working until now, and I myself am working. These are four statements or sentence in the place of the first one that you and I would not expect Jesus to say the first one, you wouldn't expect anybody to say. And yet, that's what he does. It should come as a little bit of a shock to us. It's okay to be shocked by Jesus. He's not like you. He's not like me. And he's good in everything that he does. So everything that we see here, we know it is done on behalf of a loving, kind, gracious, and good God. And what is the first thing that we see? that we hear from Jesus. Oddly enough, do you wish to get well? What, what do you do with that? Notice what it says just before that in verse 5. A man was there who had been ill for 38 years. This didn't just happen yesterday. We don't know what that means. We don't know if that means that he's been here 
at this pool for these 38 years and somebody brings them there every day? We know that it means that he hasn't had this disease his entire life, that he's only had the disease for 38 years. We don't know how long he lived before he got this disease. But there's some observations that are key here. And just consider them. Jesus shows up. He's on a God-appointed mission. He does whatever the Father tells him to do. He comes to this place, which is really close to the temple. And as he comes up to it, you know, there's this, this sheep gate. That's where the sheeps would come in, supposedly, in order to be sacrificed by, by the priests. And he sees how many people, hundreds, that are sick. And he singles out one. Why? Why this guy? Well, I could postulate, I could, I could guess, and I could tell you all sorts of things, and I know this doesn't sound like the right answer from a pastor, but I don't know. Because God is incredibly gracious, kind, loving. Because Jesus loves you just like he loved him. Because Jesus seeks out that which is lost. Those would be some of my answers. But it'd be like throwing a dart that I have no idea if I'm hitting the bullseye or not. The reality is we're not always going to know why God does what he does. When the unexpected comes, we may not know the answer this side of eternity, this side of glory, but that doesn't mean that we can't trust him. That doesn't mean you can't look at him and see and understand, yes, he is good. And we see that here, he's good. Even when he says what, what I would think just seems like an incredibly mean question to a man who's been sitting there for 38 years, it would appear that he has some use with his arms. He's just not fast enough to beat everybody into that pool. And so what does Jesus ask him? Do you wish to get well? What's the automatic response you would think? At times I can, I, I can have a little bit of an attitude. I could think of all sorts of cool ways I could answer Jesus. None of them godly. All of them filled with sarcasm. Is that what Jesus is doing? Is Jesus just trying to aggravate him? Is Jesus like you? <laughs> is Jesus like me? He's nothing like us. He's altogether different. And he comes to this man, and I believe the reason why he comes is because he's trying to drill right down deep into his soul, into his heart. And when he questions him on this, do you wish to get well, he's not just talking about physical wellness. We know that because as the story will unfold, we will see when he comes back to him. Again, the second time, what does he bring in? He brings in sin. And he says, don't keep sinning so that it won't get worse for you. And this man's got to look back and go, there's something worse than 38 years on that mat. What in the world could that be? But we don't see that question because he's so self-absorbed, he misses Jesus two times. Don't miss Jesus two times. Don't miss Jesus in the midst of your agony, in the middle of your struggles. Go to him. He's already there for you. Notice he's the one that seeks this man out. That's encouraging. And Jesus is probing down into his heart. But let me bring that to us. How would you have answered this question? 
Let me make it a little bit more practical. What do you want from Jesus? Week after week after week, what do you want? What what does your prayer life look like? Is it ask after ask after ask after ask after ask? Is it just a list of all the things that you want? You know what this guy missed? He missed Jesus. He didn't recognize that the God of the universe was right there in front of him showing him how much he loved him. He missed it all. And sometimes we miss it. How would you answer that question? When you pray, do you spend time asking the Lord, please, please, please give me a greater love for you, a greater desire to walk hand in hand with you no matter what comes, no matter what happens to me. I want to be closer and closer with you. I want to live for you in all that I do. But notice how this man answers. No question. Sir, I've no man to put me into the pool when the water stirred up, but while I'm coming, another steps down before me. Before I have time to get in there, somebody else beats me to it. Could there be some sarcasm in what he's saying? Yes. I remember there was a man who lived next door to us growing up, and I'd go outside and I'd play soccer in the backyard, and inevitably I'd kick my soccer ball over the fence. And my mom wanted me, instead of jumping over the fence, which I could totally do, to go around and talk to him, knock on the door and say, is it okay if I go through your gate and get the ball? You know what happened after, say, ten times? The last thing he wanted to see was my face. And when he responded, he's... Are you here to get the ball again? Hey, look, you can just jump over. I'll give you permission. Jump over my fence. I wonder if this guy's like that. Who would go up and ask him this kind of question? You and I wouldn't. Seems him kind, but Jesus does everything good. And we can trust that. And what don't we see? We don't see a flicker of faith like we saw last week. In fact, we're not going to see faith anywhere pictured in here. Faith is unexpectedly absent in all of this. Why? Because he missed Jesus. But there are two things we can see from this man that should relate to each of us that we should recognize. First, that this man is unable to what? To save himself, to heal himself. He can't do it. He's been there for 38 years in this condition. He's not able to save himself, to heal himself. But the object of what he's hoping for is the water. That's all he's thinking about. Man, if I can get to that water, everything will be okay. Second, he doesn't have any help. That's what he says. Nobody will pick me up. Nobody's picking me up and carrying me. Do you... Recognize how hopeless and helpless and lost we are without Jesus seeking us out and pouring his grace out upon us. We're incapable of saving ourselves just as this man was. We need help. That's the gospel. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. There's no greater news than that. That's that's what this man had an opportunity to hear. 
but his ears were not tuned to what Jesus was saying. Even though what Jesus says next had to be even more unexpected than what he said first in that question. Wouldn't you think? Look at number two. What does he say in verses eight to nine? Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your pallet and walk. So are all commands. Immediately the man became well and picked up his pallet and began to walk. I wonder how long it took for the man to recognize that everything had been restored. And notice what's going on here. This is instantaneous. This happens instantly, right there, right then. What before was dead, shriveled up, not able to be used, is now perfectly fine and strengthened. There's no other way to explain this except for this is a miracle from God. A miracle that he wasn't expecting. What do you think he was expecting? Well, he's already told us. He's expecting that Jesus would swoop down, pick him up, and then be faster than anybody else who was trying to get to that pool. He's hoping that Jesus can do the hundred faster than anybody else around so that he can be healed. And what does Jesus do? He does that which is unexpected, and he heals him how? Just with his very words. That's how powerful our God is. Let, let me bring that home to us today, this morning. This is the Savior you can trust with whatever you're going through, that Jesus, the same Jesus who healed like that can heal today. He can, he can heal this thing that's going on in, in my mouth long before I go and see the dentist tomorrow. But he can also use the dentist to help me. One is not the same as the other, but both are extensions of God's grace. When I say a miraculous healing, I mean a miraculous healing. Like all of a sudden I go back there and my tooth is back with no decay in any of my mouth and all my teeth are good. I might as well go for that. I'm going to say that one tooth's good. And never again do I have to go to a dentist while I'm really asking for the Lord to do something amazing. Hey, that will happen in eternity forever and ever when we have our glorified bodies. Can you imagine? No more dental work. Amen. So this happens instantaneously. Think about this. Does Jesus always answer our prayers the way that we want him to? Totally unexpected. In the way that he answers our prayers, he doesn't follow our scheme, our mind, our plan. He's God. And we let him be God even though we want to take the throne from him over and over again and tell him, oh, no, this is how I have to work. And this is the time frame you have to work. This man had no idea when this was going to happen or how this was going to happen. And this is an unsaved man. Think about that. How much more does he care for his own? Oh, the grace of God that's manifested and seen in this account. How good is our God? But let me get on to number three. This one, again, is another difficult one. You wouldn't expect this. Notice, Jesus is gone. He has to go find him. And what we see in, in, in 10 to 13 is really the other side of the story. We, we don't have a full picture of the story with just stopping at verse 9. We must go on. We must find out exactly what happens with this man. 
And then we see that the Jews were saying to the man, hey, who cured you? Why are you, why are you walking around on the Sabbath holding this? You're mad. That's illegal. That's against our law. That wasn't against the law of God. That was against their own Mishnah, which was a man-made interpretation of what the law says. And in this Mishnah, there's 39 categories of work that's prohibited. What was God's intention in the Old Testament with the law against working on the Sabbath? It was this, that it was whatever you do is your customary work. It's not too complicated. It was whatever your vocation is. If you're a farmer, then you don't farm. If you're a lawyer, then you, you don't lawyer. If you're a mechanic, you don't mechanic. That's it. But what did they do? They added all these other regulations that included all sorts of crazy things, including carrying this from point A that was private to someplace that's public, which is what he was doing. But this was not the law of God. But it was punishable by death, by stoning. And so what do we see first? Even before Jesus comes and says this, we see this depiction of those like this man that are living by their own standards, living by their own strength, living by what they think is right. Notice, they believe they're right. They believe it so wholeheartedly that, that when it's presented to them that a miracle just happened, they miss the miracle completely. And all they care about is their man-made law and regulations. Could it be that we do the same thing? How about in the home? You get in an argument with one of your kids or your spouse or someone, and what do you do? You think in, in your mind, oh, this isn't my fault, this is their fault. And so then you just stand, I mean, you're, you're not doing this on the outside, but on the inside, you're just standing strong. I'm not moving. This is their bad, not my bad. And you're missing Everything. Why? Because of your pride. That, that's what these guys were wrapped up in, their pride. They thought that they understood what God desired of them, and yet they missed it all. May we not miss that, that we don't think poorly of others. Why? Because they're just not like us, and so we think what? Oh, we must be better, and they must be less. And notice that Jesus had, had left him. Once they find out, oh, someone healed you, then they want to know because they don't know who it was either. But the man who was healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had slipped away while there was a crowd in that place. Why is that? I believe it's because Jesus didn't want to get into a great big conversation with this man right there and then with all these other folks around. So he waited. He waited until exactly the right time when he could talk with this man more one-on-one, -on -one, more alone, when he's going to seek him out. And that's what the word means, to find. It didn't, doesn't mean that he randomly stumbled upon this guy. No, he went looking for him. He was searching and then found him. And then notice what he says. Again, when I would have even started off a conversation, I wouldn't have asked him, hey, do you want to get well? I, I first would have asked him, 
hey, can I get you some water? I, I would have I started in, in a way that would have been much easier, right? Bringing upon some sort of relationship with one another. Jesus just cuts right to the chase, and then he does that when he comes back to him. Why? Because he wants to deal with this man's heart and the sin in his heart, as well as the sin in his past. And so as he finds him in the temple, he says, hey, you've been, you become well. Hey, you're better now. You get that. Don't sin anymore so that no, nothing worse happens to you. Answer me this question. Who in this room or, or listening online cannot sin anymore? Yet yeah, none of us. What, what is Jesus talking about? What, why is Jesus saying, hey, don't sin anymore? And holding the standard that this man will never live up to. That's the whole point. He's letting him know the only way that this can happen is if you believe in me as your Savior. You must recognize that your sin must be forgiven. And although Jesus might be pointing back and doing a comparison and possibly letting this guy know, hey, you, you know the reason why you were on that mat those 38 years? It was because of the sin in your past. And do you know what's going to happen if you continue on in that sin? Without a scapegoat, without a substitute, without me as your Savior, do you know what will happen? It will be far worse for you. Speaking of hell, he's letting him know right here, right now, this is what you must determine. You must believe in me as your Savior. But this man will have nothing of it. Is this difficult for you to wrap your head around? When, when you think of sin and you think of disease and sickness, do you see them correlating to one another? A.K.A. can some sickness be caused because of sin? Yes, that is what Scripture teaches. It's what we see in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 in the great chapter on, on communion. What's happening in Corinth? There are some that are abusing the Lord's table. And the Apostle Paul says, now because of your sin, do you know what's happening? Some of you are sick. In fact, some of you have already died. Or Acts chapter 5, Ananias and Sapphira. What happens with them? They lie to the Holy Spirit and then they're dead. So obviously we see in Scripture that sometimes sickness comes because of sin, a particular sin. But does, it, does that mean that every time somebody is sick that you can pinpoint it back to sin? No. We're going to find this in John chapter 9. Remember that account? It's, it's really famous. We, we all have probably heard it before. As he passed by, he saw a, blind, a man blind from birth. That's Jesus. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned? This man or his parents? And what's Jesus' response? It was neither that this man sinned nor his parents. But what was the reason? But it was so that the works of God might be displayed in him. That's where we're going to go. So the same Jesus Christ, the Savior, who says here, hey, don't keep sinning because it'll end up causing much worse things to happen to you, also says later, hey, it wasn't because of sin. It was to bring glory to God. All that to say that we cannot ever underestimate the power of sin. 
It's what's changed our whole world just from one sin in the garden, remember? Sin is grievous to our Lord, and it's not something that should be taken lightly. But neither is the grace of God. And that is what we see all over in this passage. Notice Jesus seeks him out. Jesus finds him. Jesus gives him this opportunity to then ask him questions, to then engage with Jesus in order to find out more. But that isn't what we find. Instead, we see forth what Jesus finally says is, my father is working until now, and I myself am working. But notice verse 15. This verse is just a sad account of this man's life. As Jesus tells him, don't sin anymore so that nothing worse happens to you. Then the man says, what do you mean? What could be worse than that? No, you don't see any kind of question. Instead, what you see is the man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. All he was concerned with was himself. And following the tradition of the Jews and most likely trying to get Jesus in some sort of trouble and put a a name with the healer now so they would know. And then notice what happens. It says they were persecuting Jesus because he was doing these things, not just this one thing. So it's understood that Jesus was also doing other things on the Sabbath, healing that was driving them crazy. And so they start persecuting him. And it's actually deeper than that. As we get into verse 17, and he says, My father is working until now, and I myself am working. He's pointing to them, letting them know that he is claiming to be God. And they get it because they want to kill him. That's what we're going to see next week. That's their response, the Jewish leaders. And in this, we see clearly the the effects of sin on the lives of not only this man, but all the Jewish leaders as they all miss Jesus for who he truly is. And instead, they've made this Jesus into their own image, out of their own mind, that is nothing like the true and real Jesus, who is the Savior of the world, that has come to save lost sinners like you and me. But what does he mean? My Father is working until now, and I myself am working. Maybe this is the the phrase from Jesus that you need to underline and that you need to hold fast to right now. Think about the encouragement. Is he just saying, oh, just right now, this day, this, and then, then I stopped working? Then I'm, no, because we know he's going to go to the cross. He hasn't even gone to the cross yet. Oh, so then once he goes to the cross and he ascends, then he stops working. No. Th- this is the encouragement for us that Jesus Christ is working today, that he is going before us. He is using his grace in our lives, conforming us more and more into his image. He is answering our prayers, sometimes not in the same time frame that we want him to, but that does not mean he is not working. What is he trying to say to these Jewish leaders? He's trying to let them know, you guys have missed it all concerning the Sabbath. Sabbath wasn't for God. God didn't need a a rest day. He wasn't tired. That isn't why he declared a Sabbath. He declared a Sabbath for man as a day of worship. And you guys are missing what the whole point is, is that you would worship me 
And instead, you're pushing me away. But how encouraging for us to know that this is reminding us that yes, right now with whatever you are going through, that Christ is working. That Christ is here with us. And that he will be with us tomorrow with whatever we go through then and the next day and the next day. I think what is most surprising about all of this is this aspect of what this man received and what this man didn't receive. His life changes, no doubt, right? In in a miraculous, instant way. When it says he take up your mat and leave, that was the idea of permanence. You're not coming back here ever again like you were before. You now have a new beginning. You, this isn't your home. This isn't the place where, where you're going to hope. Not. No, now you have a new life. Go live this life. But he wanted him to live this life in obedience to Christ by believing in him first as a Savior. And so what he gains on the one hand is, yes, physical wellness, new legs. Perhaps if there was something wrong with his arm and his upper torso, that as well. But what he doesn't gain is much more significant. What he doesn't gain is what Ezekiel 36 talks about. A new heart. A new spirit. A new nature. Turn with me to Ezekiel 36 and let's, let's close our time in this. Because God is so good to remind us that, that his desire to save, to transform, to change isn't just some sort of New Testament thought. It doesn't originate with Jesus. It goes all the way back to the beginning. And what the Lord wants to do is not, and and we can see that obviously Jesus is compassionate and wants him to be healed physically. But the salvation from Jesus goes far greater than that. And if you miss the salvation from Jesus as far as the spiritual side, then you miss everything. And the nation of Israel missed honoring Yahweh for a lot of their their past, over and over again, right? King after king, people after people of the Jews would follow and chase all sorts of other gods. And yet we see the covenantal faithfulness of our God on full display. This is talking about in the future. That not all the nation of Israel will be saved, but there will be a time where the whole nation, talking kind of specifically in this group of the nation of Israel that will be saved, and what will happen? They will be given back their land. And everything will be restored to the nation of Israel because that's how gracious and wonderful our God is. For I will take you, verse 24, Ezekiel 36, For I will take you from the nations. Why? Because I've exiled you into these nations. And you've abused my trust over and over and over again. He says again and again that it's like they're married and they are unfaithful to him. I will gather you from all the lands and bring you into your own land. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you. And you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. Moreover, I will give you a new heart 
and a new spirit within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I believe that's the hearts that we see in the, in the man that was healed, that we see in the religious leaders in Jesus' day. And I will put my spirit within you. And I will cause you to walk in my statutes. And you will be careful to observe my ordinances. You will live in the land that I gave to your forefathers. So you will be my people and I will be your God. Now there's a part of this promise that does not extend to us, but there's a part of this promise that does. Now all of us that have believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, that, that we are part of the new covenant, that we are welcomed in as God's children, and we are blessed to have a relationship with him where we walk with him day in and day out. And what a sweet picture this is of Jesus searching out someone who desperately needed him but missed him. And I pray that that is not the case for you this morning, that you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. And if you do not, and you are like this man still on his mat who never repented, at least from what we can see in Scripture, then I would encourage you today to turn to the Lord Jesus Christ. You can come talk to me, one of the other pastors. But praise the Lord that there is an answer to man's sin problem and to sickness and to blindness and to those that are lame and withered and all of us. And that answer is the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for your word. Your all-sufficient, oh-so-good word. We thank you for what we've seen in these four sayings, Lord Jesus, and, and how good you are to, to seek out the lost. Lord, we pray that if anyone here this morning does not know you as their Savior, that they would trust in you and you alone. For you are the only way to the Father that it is only through you that we can gain eternal life and live forever with you. And we thank you so much for sending Jesus. And we thank you, Jesus, for the wonderful example that you have given to us in your word of how you seek out lost sinners like us and how you lavish your grace upon us and how you do the unexpected And yet we can expect great things as we give our lives over to you, Lord. For we know that you go with us and that you will always be with us because you will never leave us nor forsake us. So bless our time, Lord, as we respond to your word and song, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.